You young children starting a podcast at eight. How dare you? Listening to Watching Movies at the Bar, a podcast about bar movies and movie bars. I'm Bethy Squires. With me, Thomas Grabinski. Thomas, how's it going? It's it's going great, Bethy. Thank you. Uh, thanks for introducing me. I'm so sorry I caught you mid sip. What are you drinking tonight? I'm drinking a, a margarita, and I hope our listeners are watching the road. Something great is that I caught you mid sip, and then my apology for catching you mid sip caught you. Yet again, mid like I am, I am like being tan. Like no, you're Tantalus, and I'm Hades doing a weird torture at you. Yes, exactly. Um, and with us also is Sarah Schaefer, uh, stand-up comic, recently vaccinated, not to brag, uh, host of the Schaefer Shakedown, and writer of the memoir Graham. Sarah, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Everyone in the studio is clapping. The whole oh, audience. Is the cheers hyped. are over. What are you drinking, Bethy? It's just a whiskey soda, baby. Don't oh, worry about it. I'm drinking a little mulchy, Michelob Ultra. <laughs> wait, it's wait, a... why do you call it a mulchy? Michelob Ultra, Moltra, Mulchies. Makes sense, huh? It's beautiful now. I think in my head there has to be a CH in there, but there isn't. It's just. Ulch. Ultra. <laughs> there is a CH in there. Bethy and I have actually been chasing Michelob dollars for this podcast, and so I think tonight Great. might get us over the line. We you didn't know, think about drinking it on the show. It's 2.6 <laughs> carbs um, and 95 cals, um, which doesn't really matter to me. I just want, I'm the type of person in my um, growing age where I just don't like being drunk and nobody else does either uh nobody likes me being drunk either um so i drink the lowest amount of alcohol that i possibly can um but i like to like i'm a chugger like i like to actually like Mm. chug all liquids (laughs) well not all liquids gasoline (laughs) yeah nail polish remover (laughs) um no i like to chug my drinks and um so this is something i can feel like i can like drink more but I'm not getting the effects. Um, I I have to drink like, you know, a few of these. But that means I also like can't drink anything else, or I get really fucked up. <laughs> so. I I'm also the same way. Of I I do just inhale any beverage that's in front of me, and so I know that. And and I know if I'm gonna be doing it a bunch, I'm like, well, I can make something really weak. Or here's yeah. a ooh, here's a tip. If you're going to something with, like, an open bar and you're like, I make bad decisions, I'd love to someday make a good decision, take a charcoal pill beforehand, like, right oh, before yeah, you I've go. Oh, yeah, I've heard about that. It, like, absorbs. Yeah, you can't, uh. you, like, people talk about using it as, like, a hangover cure. That doesn't work. You have to take it before you start drinking because it will um, adhere to anything, oh, yeah. everything in your tummy and okay. keep it from, like, interacting with your body. 
I wish I had known wow. that before making my triumphant return to Ye Rustic Inn uh, last Friday. Oh, how was that? I love Ye Rustic. It was amazing. It was also horrifying because that place <laughs> is like gross and that's yeah. so much of the charm. But like For going sure. back there after not sitting inside a place, I was overwhelmed. And it didn't mm-hmm. help that they gave us free Jameson shots. And so by the time I left, I was like, I'm never going out again. But it was oh great. God. It was amazing. I love their chicken fried chicken sandwich. Yes. It's so good. It's so good. They pound it thin. I like a good thin chicken sandwich. I like you rustic, but I am confused. There's like, I have a few notes. I guess <laughs> hit us. Like, hit us with the notes. It is. It is the right kind of gross that I am into, and yet I remember getting a nine dollar draft there once. So they need to pick a lane for starters. Uh-huh, true. Uh, totally. And then they have these gorgeous, huge horseshoe booths that take up the majority of the front bar, and they're really cool, but a horseshoe booth only seats one party, and they're built for, like, it, there's, like, two horseshoe booths that could seat up to, like, nine people, but there's usually, like, two people on a date in them. But that's why I like them, because I don't <laughs> like being near my husband. You know what I mean? I want him <laughs> far away. No, I'm just kidding. No, I, we know, like, I only go, I I hate crowded anything to Mm -hmm. begin with, um, so I would only go on, like, off nights early, but it's so dark in there, it feels like, you know, we would go there at, like, 5 p.m. on a Tuesday (laughs) and be like, oh, we we went out at night, and then we come out and it's still light out, and you're like, (laughs) I'm old. Sarah, this is also what I do, I'm a big, uh, have a interesting evening, early in the evening, and then go home for the actual night, like, when it's busy anywhere like no this isn't for me i'm over it i don't i've done all that i lived in new york city for 13 years i i know what a crowded situation (laughs) is like okay that leads into our first question of the evening sarah Mm -hmm. how what is your experience with like watching movies in bars or watching movies while half distracted uh Mm -hmm. crocheting for example um so in bars you know uh, I've spent a lot of time. I I'm a. I don't like to just drink. In bar, like I like to go out to eat. Mm-hmm. I like to eat. I like to drink when I'm eating. Um, so it's more of a restaurant situation. But I love pubs and bar. Like Ye Rustic Inn is a perfect example of the type of place I like to eat and drink in because they'll have cheap mulchy type drink. Like <laughs> a, there's not a lot of places that will have mulchies on draft. So like I get a Bud Light. I get you know. Coors Light, like whatever they've got, the lightest thing they have. Um, And so, you know, fancy restaurants tend to have these like crazy, like I'll be like, what's the lightest thing? I'll like ask, I'll look up the ABV. If it's less, if it's more than 5%, I won't drink it because I'll get fucked up. (laughs) Um, (laughs) LA is very different, obviously, because you're driving. And so that factors into things. Or if I'm not driving, then that factors into it, too. But in New York, I have all these memories of places that I loved going um, that would just have random TVs on. But the cooler places would, like, do these things. Like, there was this one place in um, lower Manhattan somewhere, which doesn't really narrow it down. But um, <laughs> it was near where my show – like, I had a show on MTV, and we hit, we worked in the Viacom building at 345 Hudson. So it was, like, sort of the uh, West Village – but lower end of the West Village, mm-hmm. um, there was this place. I can't fucking remember the name of it, but they had a pimento cheese sam- grilled cheese sandwich that was really good. Um, I'm listening. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're off to a good start. Yeah, and they would play these old-timey cartoons, like really old-school Disney, where it was like Mickey Mouse had really long arms. Black and white. Black mm-hmm. and white cartoons to music. You know, mu- the regular music would be playing, and that would be on the screen. And I would just find myself staring at it, because w- there were these, you know, it was like Steamboat Willie, like these weird cartoons, <laughs> but they just seemed to move with the music. <laughs> And that would be, I like stuff like that. Like, I like places where they have music playing, but something's on the screen and it becomes a weird, like, you don't need to be high, but you feel like you're high Yeah. Um, watching that. And then at home, I mean, I'll watch anything and everything while I'm doing stuff, as long as it doesn't have subtitles that I, or it's like Tenet, where I have to like closely <laughs> examine it to under, I've already tried to watch it twice and I had to stop because I was doing something and not paying attention. Yeah, you need a calculator to watch that movie, which is not <laughs> yeah. conducive to folding clothes. <laughs> yeah, um, but in terms of movies, you know, my favorite genre of movie is either horror or uh, like a 90s thriller or crime thriller or uh, suspense or even like a romantic thriller. Usually if the movie begins with a car driving down a road and a song like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like like that. If that's how the movie starts, I'm in. <laughs> what is that movie? I'm trying to remember the name of it. Kate Blanchett plays like a southern psychic. The gift? Is that the gift? No, or is that Gwyneth Paltrow? No, that's the gift. No, it's the, the gift. gift. The gift, yeah. I always mix them up in the in that shit. But yeah. The gift is one of them. You know, that's like a gothic horror thriller. You know, kind of, but it's so gauzy. Yeah, yeah, it is. That made me think of the the changeling, the like nineteen (laughs) eighties changeling, where the family just gets obliterated on the road at the top, and it's that exact song you just sang. It was the changeling to it. There's so many movies that start that way. I we watched one recently that started. I was like, here we go. I was like, I'm in! Locked and loaded! <laughs> like, That's how I feel about, like, Italian horror movies, where the... the no, it's not ha-ha, but um, any Italian horror movie that starts with, like, like too hot of guitar licks for what I'm looking at. Oh, like, yeah. Like, it's just like a... It's just like a blank wall, or like the uh, castle, or like it's like a pan across a gallery. It's like bam, 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 bam. It's like oh, <laughs> all that Dario Argento yeah. shit, all of the Jalo with like Goblin doing their big funky score over the top of like Bloodlet. That's that's for me. That's <laughs> yeah. for me. I know that in about twenty minutes somebody's gonna get titty murdered, and I'm gonna be here <laughs> for it. As in stab directly into one of one of two boobs? Is that I don't even know what I mean by that, but I do <laughs> feel it in my gut. It's like maybe the boobs have murder in them. Or oh. I did I did watch one recently where there was like a titty murder where a woman was wearing a corset that had knives that poked out of the nipples at the correct moment, so she was in a sensuous embrace until she Ooh. Unleashed her trap and Smart. stabbed a guy. Smart <laughs> through his ni- like into his nipples through hers. It oh, was like yeah. a nip to nip stabbing. <laughs> nice. That's something I love about those Jallo movies. Is that, that almost sounds like a bit from Top Secret, which is something mm-hmm. that we recently talked <laughs> yeah. about on the pod. But it's like they 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 almost feel like jokes, but they're just so committed that it. I don't know. You take it seriously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For sure. So tonight we're talking about 
not a titty murder. There's not even one titty murder in this whole movie. We're talking about Dirty Dancing. Sarah, what do you like about this movie? Well, obviously it was really like seminal in my youth. Um, And the soundtracks, there were two. There was Dirty Dancing and there was more Dirty Dancing. And I had both of them and I was obsessed with the music. (laughs) Um, And it was like, I can't remember, was it 1989? 87? That sounds right. 87, 88. Yeah, it was like late 80s, but not, yeah. Um, 87-ish probably. And I was, you know, pretty young when it came out. Um, So I was like, you know, one. No, just kidding. Um, I was like nine, maybe between nine and 11 years old. I Again, I, I think it was 87, but. um, So I was like pretty young when it came out. And I was like titillated by some of it. You know, like it was like. Oh, that's, that's filthy. <laughs> you know, that is dirt. When they say dirty dancing, they mean dirty. Um, but it was also just so romantic and the dancing, you know, like I was just, now when I see little kids like fall in love with movies that have dancing, like The Greatest Showman or whatever, you know, like musicals, I'm like, oh, the kids just love dancing. They're not self-conscious about it. They just love to get in the groove, you know, <laughs> um, so as a young kid, I loved it. But then as I got older, you know, it just was such a part of like pop culture. I just saw it so many times as I got older. So it changed meaning. And uh, Patrick Swayze, I mean, Jennifer Grey, they hated each other. In yeah. Spies, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They From got over Red it, Dawn, though, apparently. at least. But it worked. It worked. And... um nowadays you know i mean i can't tell you how many times like in in pools or you know we would try to do the lift you know and uh, and, like act out the scenes and stuff and but it's great when it's on in the background um because i know the movie so well so it's just like if you're like at a bar or something or you're doing something else it's just like you know you look up and you're like oh that scene oh yeah they're on the log (laughs) you know we used to do this thing with each other all the time me and my sister used to do the like rubbing your rubbing each other's (laughs) arm and tickling the armpit that stuff you know baby Um, i mean the way he fucking held her body and she was just like a fucking (laughs) she was just liquid you know like and he she was so small to his brawny body really hot it's so wild. I, I, we will probably get to this later anyway. Wait, but... speaking of wild, I just have to say one of my favorite parts of the movie. Please. When they're in the car and she goes, you're wild! What? <laughs> you're wild! What? He, like, you're wild! <laughs> Yeah, it's incredible. I wrote that down too. <laughs> it's if you just play that part back, it's so when, weird. When you talk about her body and his arms and and their chemistry and everything, I read that Billy Zane filmed a screen test for this, and he was really? twenty years old at the time. And I just feel like this movie oh, yeah. fundamentally does not work if you have a twenty year old kind of like scrawny Billy Zane. Like that's just not. It's not the same thing. No, because and she's because he gives her an education and so he needs to be like physically, you know, like older than her. You know, like I mean, honestly, is she she's not a high schooler, is she? I think she's maybe just grad she's, she's starting yeah. uh, Mount Holyoke yeah, in the I'm fall. like, she's right. not getting 
raped, is she? <laughs> like, I mean, possibly legally, but who's to say? I mean, you know, and and it's un it's unclear how old he is. There's definitely an age difference there that might be a little problematic now. I think she's like, I think in the movie, she's like 18. He's supposed to be like 25. But Swayze yeah. is so clearly in his mid-30s. And she's also clearly like mid-20s. Yeah. Yeah. It's movie think, magic. It is. I think you also need specifically Patrick Swayze for this role because he's such a like gentleman like a southern gentleman specifically he tries to do a new york accent in this movie but in like certain vowels the twang comes through and i'm like bless your heart but um you need you need a really sweet boy in this role because he starts the movie kind of as a gigolo Yeah, and so you you do need somebody who can play that like aw shucks power like the class power imbalance as well as the age Mm. So that in some ways they're on equal footing because he has, like, he's older and, like, bigger and more experienced. But she's richer and has right. grown up has more power more... that way. Yeah. yeah. Right. There's also, like, a lot of plot. And also, as a child, I had no fucking idea that the abortion was happening. Because it's, it's just yeah. implied. Like, literally, they don't really, like say that's what's happening and so as a kid i had no idea like i just had no idea that that was what was going on and then it wasn't until later that i was like oh yeah she got rid of that baby i do want to yeah maybe this is the good time to do just like a brief plot overview and one of my first memories not first a memory that i have with this movie in a bar was i was explaining colin had never seen it and i was explaining the plot (laughs) to him and he thought that i was like pranking him like i was making up the plot of a movie he was like there's no way this is a movie that everybody has seen and is universally beloved you are lying to me this can't be the plot of a major motion picture i so i had not actually seen dirty dancing in its entirety when we set out to do this i was like oh yeah dirty dancing's a movie i've seen and then when i watched it i realized it's something that i had seen in pieces as a kid Mm. but never in its entirety and it was something that watching it as like a you know seven or eight year old boy in rural iowa dirty dancing didn't connect for me i didn't really have life experience or context for this movie I loved it. I had the best time. I'm a dirty dancing head, but <laughs> I could not believe how convoluted the plot was. <laughs> and and and, and I don't, Bethy, I know you're about to get into it, but the entire time I was watching it, I was thinking, okay, if you have the basic parameters for this movie and you're trying to break the story and figure out how to get into a world where like Jerry Orbach doesn't approve of Baby's relationship with Johnny, you do not need the abortion. It can just be that he's older no, but or wears you, leather. Okay. You do you need, do the, need abortion the abortion <laughs> to make because uh, it's, because okay. she has to have a reason mm-hmm. to dance in the show with Johnny because uh, what's her name that gets the abortion? Penny. Penny. Penny has to be out of pocket. Yeah, I mean, she could have just sprained her ankle. I mean, jeez, she could. But then that quit. brings the doctor in. It brings the dad in later, and it's how you know they kind of come back together. I don't know. It, it has to work. be such a like uh, backhanded, like I, you know, I'm pro-abortion. It seems like everybody in this movie is low-key pro-abortion. I know, but like nobody is allowed to say it. Uh, it has to be something shady in order to bridge that gap of like she's like. Johnny would never actually fall for somebody at the at the club. 
if that person didn't show they were down. It's like uh, proving she's not a cop, essentially, by paying for right. a back alley abortion. Look, I should say, I, I love it. I love how specific and weird it is, and that's what makes Dirty Dancing so special. But I do think in a world of, like, economical, simple studio storytelling, it just feels like extra steps to it's get there. completely bonkers. Okay, so the plot of Dirty Dancing... <laughs> It's the last week of summer in the Poconos, and it's the last summer America will ever have, because Baby makes it very clear that Kennedy is about to be shot. So it's like the end of American innocence. Uh, the Houseman family comes to the Poconos for one week of fun and frivolity in the Catskills, uh, and Baby isn't really feeling like the appropriate things that she's supposed to do as like a patron of this club. So she goes and hangs out with the staff where they do the titular dirty dancing. She befriends Penny who needs an abortion because a waiter named Robbie knocked her up and is refusing to take responsibility for it. Robbie. Oh, we Robbie's hate a piece Robbie. Of shit. He's a big Ann Rand fan. Too. Oh, you the part know where he, he tries is. to give her the Fountainhead is so the Fountainhead scene funny. kills me. <laughs> so, baby, um, in order to uh, her uh, Penny's friend Billy has secured a back alley abortion, but the only day that the abortionist is free is the same night as the big dance performance it's all riding on a scheduling conflict. and if she doesn't go dance at this at the sheldrake hotel both she and johnny will lose their jobs so baby has to learn how to dance from johnny castle the hottest corn-faced man to ever live by the way <laughs> nobody else was available none of the <laughs> all of none of those other dancers in the dirty dancing secret club could have taken penny's place i know they all have time to learn the big ending dance scene where they there's like that one move where they all i don't even think they learn it i think they're so intuitively gifted that they watch him yeah. do it and they're like we got it johnny says something but i've been working on something with the kids oh yeah you might be right so it's like briefly mentioned that he has been choreographing a whole end of night <laughs> Anyway, so Baby and Johnny learn how to dance, do the dance, pull it off, fall in love at the same time. Meanwhile, uh, Penny's back alley abortion has gone terribly. She's bleeding out. Things are looking grim. So Baby gets her doctor father to save her new friend's life. Uh Johnny misspeaks once, and from that, uh, her dad assumes that he's the one that knocked Penny up, and is like, you're dead to me, I hate you, I hate you, Johnny. (laughs) This devastates Johnny, who needs a dad so desperately. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Meanwhile, a spate of uh, robberies and pickpocketings have been hitting the Catskills. And because Johnny has stopped sleeping with random women at this at this club, he gets blamed for the robberies. But it turns out it's this tiny little couple the size of the Carters. <laughs> I want to see their movie. I want to see their Dirty Dancing too. spinoff. <laughs> I would pay so much money to watch like a Steven Soderbergh directed Schumacher's movie. <laughs> Ooh yes yes give it to me um eventually it's it's discovered that 
Johnny did not commit the pickpocketings and that he's also not uh, the person who got Penny pregnant, uh, but he's still fired from his job at Kellerman's Country Club. And at the last night of summer, uh, they do a big dance where everybody asserts their personhood and it's beautiful and horny. The end. You, you left out one little side plot, which was with the sister. Oh, thank you. Yes. Baby's sister is like wanting attention and to find a husband. And, like she gets her heart broken by Robbie. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. Yeah. I feel so bad for Lisa, the sister, because Baby has been relating to her with so much like internalized misogyny. She's like... Baby, baby's relationship to Lisa is like, I'm like dad and then I'm serious and I don't think about girl stuff and you, Lisa, are stupid. And that's been like their dynamic this whole time. And so when baby and her dad fall out, Lisa's like, ha ha, I am the one. But eventually they do like reconcile. And there is something like this movie doesn't need to have like a achingly realistic sibling relationship subplot too. Yeah. But it does. <laughs> no, it does. It's a lot going on. I will say, though, Lisa has the best line in the movie. That's her redemption. She has the best and most inexplicable line, which is when Baby is trying to convince her not to sleep with Robbie because she knows Robbie's a piece of shit but can't tell her because it compromises her relationship with Johnny. Lisa gets really upset, feels like she's just telling her not to have sex for no reason, and she says... You wouldn't care if I humped the whole army, so long as they were on the right side of the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Uh, and I haven't stopped thinking about that for days. She says something else crazy when, uh, like, Johnny and Baby see her, Robbie, and Dr. Houseman, like, arm in arm chatting and they like, hide from them and they overhear lisa say i've been thinking about the domino effect so if vietnam falls is china next like she just fundamentally oh, yeah. misunderstands what the domino effect is yeah there's all these like really complicated conversations going on when it's just like <laughs> just dance i just want to see you guys dance like fundamentally the plot of dirty dancing tr- is uh two people who think they can't or shouldn't kiss do kiss end of movie and everything else is just sort of window dressing for that well there's also like a lot of two sides romeo juliet a little bit like two two sides of the tracks old versus young the new era coming in as a as a a bygone time dies away you know there's all these like little subtle things in there that I don't understand because I wasn't <laughs> born yet. But <laughs> um, there's we're just going to jump around now, I think, now that we know the whole plot of the movie to just the things that really sung out to us on this viewing. But um, one of the things, speaking of like themes of like the world changing in the 60s, when after uh, Jerry Orbach, who plays the dad, after Jerry Orbach finds out his daughter fucks, he, like, goes out to a gazebo and, like, wraps himself in a sweater, and, like, the first <laughs> autumn leaves fall as he, like, stares <laughs> out is changing. into a lake and is like, my daughter has lain with man. He's just, like, <laughs> can't comprehend it. So cool. I'm glad he ends up being good in the end. Mm-hmm. That would have been a real disappointment. And uh, the, the, I mean, but the, the the nobody puts baby in the corner is one of the most. If you can put a movie out that has one of the most famous lines 
ever in it, you've done something right. You know, like that. And then there was a period of time where it was like being used in pop culture so much in comedy. Mm-hmm. And now that's kind of died away. It's like, you know, now if you say nobody puts baby in the corner, it's like, okay, awesome. It's like sauce. play it. Yeah. It's like play it again, Sam. Like how old are we? <laughs> you know, like those references aren't rel- They aren't like fresh feeling anymore to mock or parody. I used to make a game of trying to find the weirdest, like the most obscure dirty dancing quote to say. When people did a Nobody Puts Baby in the Corner, I'd be like, I carried a watermelon. Yeah. Or the best place to practice lifts is in the water. Just things that are not useful to say. (laughs) Or what what did he always say to her um, when they were, like, he was teaching her to dance? I can't remember. This is my dance space. This is your dance space. Oh, that whole thing? Yeah, that was great. But my, you know, what really, I don't even care about the movie anymore. It's the songs from it that now, like... It really like we put it on recently. We have uh, the vinyl of it, and we put it on, and like we had a little dance party. We we have like we kind of have a pod going here at our property. We have uh, that we rent from friends who have a five year old, and like we have little dance parties sometimes with her, and we put that on, and it was just like it was so. I like said at one point, I was like, "This is like the footage before one of us dies." Tragically. <laughs> like I'm so. I'm the type of person that says that when it, when I'm having mm-hmm. like such a happy moment, I'll be like, someone's going to die soon. And they're going to like, this is in the movie where like right before something bad happens. On that note, I read today that as of 2006, I've had the time of my life was the third most popular song played at funerals in the UK. <laughs> Which to me is like so weird <laughs> and totally UK. mismatched and tragic. Yeah, yeah. I've specifically the, the UK. And I owe it all to you. And mm. since 2006, I think it's probably like Good Riddance um, by Green Day. Once that appreciated, oh, but um, <laughs> I think there's something that's so interesting. I've I've heard other statistics about the most played songs at funerals, but only from England because Always Look on the Bright Side of Life is another one that is really often played at British funerals. I've heard stats about American weddings and British funerals. <laughs> <laughs> Wonder if there's just a different tradition in american funerals where like they don't track songs the way i don't think i've been to a funeral where people have like played a song and we just listen to a recording of a song i have i've sung hymns but not played songs i've had i've had song like where they do the slideshow or Mm -hmm. you know does everyone have a funeral song picked out i used to and then it changed because it's like i associate it with like uh like my former life oh so that sarah's already dead is what you're telling me (laughs) that sarah's long dead Um, song's already played yeah i don't know if my family's listening right now let's make it a save tonight by eagle eye cherry (laughs) (laughs) uh mine actually is sally mclinan by the pogues i've told people this that they know should you know uh that's the one because i like this that song is interesting because it uh equates dying with going on a train journey and i just think it's cute i like that about it (laughs) oh i have one well i i have the one i used to my my first funeral song and now i can't because it's like i associate the song with my ex so i'm just like "Eh." but it was do you realize flaming lips Mm. you know it's just a such a great song about like it's okay you know nothing matters we're all okay you know (laughs) 
And then there, but there's another one that is just like, I can barely even think about it without crying, but it's like, it's, um, Ron, what the fuck is his name? Um, it's called God Takes Everyone. Mm. And it's just such a sweet song. It's just about how everyone goes to heaven and there's no need to worry about it. And it's, there is no hell and, you know, it's such a good song. Wait, I got to look it up. Hold on. Uh, I got bullied in middle school for talking about uh, my religion's belief that nobody goes to hell. Because uh, for some <laughs> no. reason, this was like a Ron bad Sexsmith. choice. Sorry, what? Ron Sexsmith. Ah. Ron Sexsmith. Ron Sexsmith. Oh, my God. You guys uh, are is... too young. <laughs> I'm <laughs> writing this down. This was a bad choice. It, this on song will make you cry. Social studies teacher's part, but you could get extra credit for like explaining your religion to the rest of the class when we did world religions in seventh grade. That... That, that sounds feels like, like you're being set up. <laughs> that it? sounds like a bad scene. <laughs> Doesn't it? It feels like, uh, yeah. He's that fucking with you. <laughs> like, somebody is working for, like, the CIA or something, and it's an op to try and, like, root out uh, religious extremists or something. But one kid, <laughs> one kid brought a model for his explanation of his religion uh, of... Uh, it was like a, a diorama and there was just like these flames and then a rickety bridge. And he explained that the flames are hell and the bridge <laughs> is faith. And if you misstep on the bridge, even once you will fall into hell. <laughs> oh, Lord. He what plays his drums Christ? in a devotional band now. Was that Baptist? <laughs> I honestly don't know. It was Pentecostal. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I grew up Baptist. They have this bizarre belief structure where if you get oh wow, um, but Baptists say that once you're saved, nothing can like unsave you, but God can be like incredibly disappointed in your actions post salvation. So it's like you'll still go to heaven, but like she's not going to be happy about it. Yeah, it's kind of why it worked for me cuz I was just like, oh yeah, you can just like wait till right before you die and just be like, I believe in you. <laughs> yeah. There there was there was definitely comfort in that. Um if my social studies teacher tried to get me to explain my faith to the class though, I'd probably just say um you just put your pickle on everybody's plate, college boy, and leave the hard stuff to me. <laughs> Another great line from the movie. It doesn't. It doesn't fit. But I really wanted to get through my my selects. <laughs> it, much like I carried a watermelon, it's a line that is not useful in any other situation, but works great in the moment. Mine is definitely you're wild. You're wild. <laughs> uh, but I did explain that in Quakerism, people you don't believe people go to hell because everybody has God in them, and God can't go to hell. Therefore, souls don't go to hell. Ooh. And then a uh, rickety bridge kid was like, even Hitler. And I was like, yes, even Hitler. He's like, but he did so much bad stuff. And I'm like, yes, but he's still technically a person. And it was like a whole thing. Great time. Quakers have empathy. That's that's some heavy shit to bring up. <sighs> it was a whole day. That was a whole day of my life. I actually was wondering, because I I'm just ignorant and grew up in the South in a Baptist church and, and wasn't just um, everyone thinks I'm Jewish, but I'm not. And um, is the is the setting of this movie supposed to be one of the like Jewish like vacation spots? Yeah. Like is the family Jewish? Yeah, big time. 
Okay, that's what I thought. I was like, I can't, I, because growing up as a kid, you're like watching this movie, and if you aren't Jewish, you just think it's a place that people went to. Like, you didn't know that it was a Jewish thing, the Catskills and the Poconos. Like, you didn't know that. I mean, of course, when I grew up, I, like, realized that. But, like, I I uh, was just wanted to confirm. I'm like, am I getting my facts wrong? <laughs> like, <laughs> It is, like, another thing that is... Uh, it, much like the abortion, it's another thing that feels like it today wouldn't necessarily be part of a blockbuster movie, and because it's like something that like an exec would find an extraneous detail, quote unquote. But it like makes the movie. That's part of what's interesting about Dirty Dancing, though, is it was it it was a wide release, but it was an unexpected hit. It was set up at MGM, and then it was in development hell for a long time, and they ended up going to a strange new fledgling distributor and it was their first movie and the budget was cut in half so like the average cost of a movie at this point in time was like 12 million dollars and dirty dancing was five million dollars and once it was in the can all of the execs thought it was a piece of shit one of the producers literally said burn the film and collect the insurance money (laughs) when when they when they teed up the release plan it was supposed to be in theaters for a week and then go straight to video because this distribution company had just done um, like straight to video releases, but the movie was a huge hit and, and no one saw it coming. So I think that's, that's part of what's going on here is Dirty Dancing is weird and a little more involved. And I think in retrospect, you, you lose that with the legacy and how much of a hit it was, but it's a strange movie. Well, and I, I mean, I don't, do they in the movie, and I might be misremembering because I haven't watched it in a while, um, but do they, are they openly talking about being Jewish in the movie or is it just like you're just you as an adult would just know because you would know that that's what the Catskills and the Poconos were back then? I think it's just that. I it's think like with, implied. Yeah, with with the actors and everything, that's that's something that you see. But if in, in any synopsis for the movie, it's just a family vacation resort. Right. It's- and that's why I well, And that's what is interesting to me is because it was such a mainstream movie. And I think, you know, you look at um, shows now like Marvelous Ms. Maisel, which puts Jewish culture like right front and center. And they have the whole season where they go to the Caskills. And it's like there's been separate critiques about the way that they've approached Jewish culture in that show. But like, I wonder if the time period in the 80s, you know, they felt that presenting it as like, we're Jewish, you know, would have been a turnoff to like idiot southerners you know or like idiots across the country that just were like well that i don't understand that movie i wonder i don't know i would assume so i know like this isn't obviously this isn't the production of dirty dancing but i know that the nanny uh cbs like begged fran drescher to make her character italian instead of jewish because they thought it wouldn't like play yeah in the south yeah so that's why i was i mean you know you have to think that that factored into how they i mean but it's interesting to hear that they didn't expect the movie to do well at all and the fact that it really hit you know i my family never did anything like go to a resort like that you know i mean meaning my grandparents or whatever like culturally the movie made no sense to my me and where i came from Mm -hmm. but somehow those characters shone through where we all related to it and I think that's like a triumph of 
a movie that you know I I'm I I mean, I feel bad talking about this without a Jewish person present, but just being like I want to ask a Jew like when you watched that movie as a kid, were you like, oh, that's my culture, that's my that's my people? I don't know. I I wouldn't know because I'm not. I want to hear that perspective of like, yeah. And were we all sort of witnessing something that we didn't even realize? And, it's, and it makes you go, like, it's kind of a shame that it wasn't like being like, we're Jewish. <laughs> you know, like the, the one thing that should be noted is as, as much as it's a, it's a goofy movie, Eleanor Bergstein, who wrote the film um, says that it is, it is loosely, but, but relatively autobiographical. And, right. and she grew up in a Jewish family. Her father was a doctor. She spent time at a, a resort like this. Yeah. So it's all, it's all there. I think they probably just relegated it to an implication. It's like if you see it, if you see yourself in it, you see yourself in it. doesn't, you know, yeah. Uh, others see themselves more in it probably, but. I super see myself in it because uh, I was like a little, like baby, I was like a baby SJW as a kid, like constantly talking about trying to save the world. Mm-hmm. And I also, uh, my, like, honestly, still to this day, sometimes my go-to move is to get my dad involved, but partially <laughs> because he also puts a lot of his self-image and self-worth in being a very helpful person. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I know that he wants to help people. And like, again, because I was raised Quaker, like our whole religion is based on empathy and helping other people. Mm-hmm. So it's still like the go to move for me is like, oh, my dad could help with that. Like he could donate <laughs> sound equipment yeah. or like he he spot he donated to like uh, Thomas's cats go fund me. Like, again, Thank my you, dad. Bethy's dad. Again, this is me being <laughs> I really shouldn't be talking about stuff I don't understand. But just from what people have told me and I've learned is like Jerry Orbach's character in the movie, he's like the definition of a mensch. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, isn't that the... <laughs> it sounds like your dad was like that too. Yeah. We talked about this on your podcast, Sarah, but um, mm-hmm. I was raised by like LARPers technically, like the Society <laughs> for Creative Anachronism. And there's this thing in the SCA called the Order of the Pelican, which is somebody... So in... In the SCA, you can become a peer, which is like a knight, essentially, within like the SCA hierarchy. That's somebody who has like more prestige because you've done something cool. And the three ways you can get to be a peer is you can get a laurel for art or science, like some cool, like you paint something rad, you get a laurel for that. Uh, A knighthood, which is like you're really good at pretend fighting with swords. Or a pelican, which is where you do so much service. To, for other people and like for the SCA that uh, you get an award. And my dad is a pelican and he's like a pelican through and through. Like he values so much being the person who's the first to help in situations. Oh, your dad sounds wonderful. The more I learn. <laughs> I like the Quakers. He's a nice fella. We we had a, we had a, at my church growing up, there was like, it was a very historical old church and it had a new sanctuary, a new building built next to the the historical old building. And we let a Quaker church have their services and meetings, or I guess meetings is what they call them, mm-hmm. in our old sanctuary. And so we would like kind of had some, we would brush shoulders with Quakers growing up. <laughs> That's <laughs> that really like, cool. They seem like so much cooler than what we're doing. Sarah, I will say that sounds like maybe the most progressive Baptist church in history, because in my youth group, we literally had a unit where we went through 
any any other contemporary religion and were just taught how stupid they were for like a dozen reasons. <laughs> it was like it was truly the culture was just like this is the only denomination of Christianity that remotely makes sense. Anything else is hellbound and embarrassing. They they there were definitely people like that at my church and apparently nowadays it has become more like that um and trumpy and stuff um but it sucks but we had this youth pastor who was to this day i'm still friends with him he was to me like a um i thought he was like this is the most christ-like person i've ever met he's different he is not like the others like and he would never i mean he would teach us things from the quran like he was so progressive and tell us we went to this like church camp i don't know if you ever heard of centrifuge but it was like a baptist church camp um it was really terrifying crazy. name i'll just say that yeah you get in there and you mixed up and now you're <laughs> but then um, it all separates by the end of the week because it spins exactly so you're yeah. scrambled your dna is completely <laughs> fucked um for jesus but um uh, we went to this camp and I remember one, one night at worship service, they basically was said being gay was a sin. And then after the church service, you go to your small group with your youth group and sort of do like a, a night, uh, like a good night prayer and then go back to your bunks or whatever. And my pastor, youth pastor was like, no, that's not what the Bible says. And he like broke it all down and he was like, no, we're not doing that. And it was like, oh, wow. I, we had this lucky little uh, soft spot in the middle of a pretty... I mean, because we weren't Southern Baptist officially, but there was a lot of... It was in Virginia, you know. A lot of my friends went to Liberty and, you know... My uh, brother went to Liberty. Who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How's he's, he doing? He's cool, but it's <laughs> yeah. it's got a it's got yeah. a real magnetic pull. No, I think yeah. I think most of the people I know who anyone I know who stayed in the church longer than like eighteen years old, which tends to be the cutoff for most people I know, are yeah. people who had role models like that who are much more yeah. committed to the principles than like the weird like politicking that orbits around everything. Yeah. So I was gonna say, uh it's so interesting that you related your that this movie Dirty Dancing you related to because of the father daughter dynamic the movie that i relate to in that sense is uh say anything where the dad <laughs> goes to jail for fraud <laughs> <laughs> my dad didn't go to jail but and you can read the book to find out more details but he did fuck everything up <laughs> and he built a new life we're all good but like the when i watched say anything growing up that scene where the dad uh, gets caught for like defrauding, you know, people at the nursing home or whatever and, and how chipper he was prior leading up to it and getting caught. My dad wasn't caught. He turned himself in, but it was like so raw to me and like really like painful for me to watch those parts of the movies. And I didn't understand until I was older like why I didn't connect. Right. But, oh, the maybe I feel this way because my dad did stuff that is embarrassing <laughs> and shameful. And like, and of course I just was in love with John Cusack. But um, yeah, totally different. <laughs> I've actually say anything's a gap for me. I've never seen it, but that feels like a movie we might talk about on the pod. I know. I, if you're you're listening, you're not watching. But Sarah just made a face at me that that I feel so much shame. I've got to watch it immediately. <laughs> I mean, I can tell you're younger, so I, I give you a pass. Yeah, maybe maybe a little younger. 
Well, how old are you? I'm I'm 28. Sorry, sorry. I I, I feel shame around my age. <laughs> you should right now. <laughs> you child. I feel it. I feel it. Uh, yeah, I'm a touch older than you. <laughs> I pro- I could have babysat you. As the as the grandson cool. says in the movie, uh, sometimes in this life we see things we don't want to see, baby. And right now we're seeing an age gap we don't want to see. No, I thought you were just inverting that I haven't seen something I want to see. There it I want to see Say Anything on DVD. I was just trying to bring it back you somehow, and it. I want to talk a great about movie. how yeah. awful the, the Kellerman's grandson kid is. Like, how good of a job that guy does being that asshole. Neil's the most punchable guy ever, but something... <laughs> oh, wait, which one is he? The host of, the, like, the talent show? He's the son of Ma- or the, Max's heir, who he tries to hook up with Baby... Oh, yeah. Awful. The, the one he's who's like. Brutal. It's incredible because he's so sure he's coming off the way he wants to come off. And I can't imagine living with that confidence. Yeah. That, that dude looks like he got his braces off that morning <laughs> in every scene of the movie. That's his energy. Um, what, one thing I want to say really quick before we get into Neil, though, is just to talk about the director of this movie, because it's, it's tragic and, and, and feels like an important context. So Emil Ardolino, who directed Dirty Dancing, was an openly gay man um, who died in 1993 uh, from complications of AIDS. And this was his mm. first feature, his only oh other God. major. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's wild. He had directed... Um, plays for the screen but had not directed a a feature-length film um after this the other thing he made was sister act which again is a pretty pretty he did sister act too oh my i mean not the sequel as well yeah that was that was his output but he he i love that movie as well me me too and would love to talk about it on here but yeah he, he died a few years after that and i think something that should be said as much as i love to goof about you know this movie i i really did enjoy it and i do think that the source material is unwieldy and and a lot of the writing is really silly but it is really well unified by his directing mm-hmm. and it is it is such a uh it, it, it's just such an energetic and and fun movie and i feel like he would have gone on to make um many more movies if if not for this so it's just something i wanted to mention Aww. yeah the moment that Thank i was that... most struck by his direction for was the lighting in the final dance scene is like so um emotive in a way that I didn't notice until this viewing because like the dancers are bathed in this pink light and then everybody standing in the on the sides are in this like really cold dead blue so that the people who are dancing are the only ones who actually seem like alive in this moment and it's like this really beautiful distinction that also gets muddied the more people come onto the dance floor the more people join the hang yeah and then it comes out it's almost like it's being lit from within almost like they they look daytime like everything is so bright yeah you know like well and because like baby is wearing such like a a bright um outfit with like this like diaphanous skirt on she almost looks like she's lit from within like she's just radiating this like pink like horny light honestly <laughs> and it's like you know it was everything to me as a little girl so it was cool. just like that outfit the the softness of it and like all of it just 
really good. By the way, though, the mother really gets the shaft in this movie. She's not really a part of it. And it's like, Criminally underused. <laughs> she's given so little information. Yeah. She never knows what's going on. She's given so little to say. She's just it, out it with her friends the whole time. She's like, what yeah. happened that summer? <laughs> maybe maybe that's cool and transgressive, though. Maybe she's unbounded by all of the bullshit of this movie and is just having a good time somewhere else. Her one moment is like when she stops her husband from like getting in the way of her daughter's big dance numbers like no 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 you're gonna let this happen because this is romantic as hell yeah that is one of the more powerful moments in the movie i think she's like sit your ass down (laughs) yeah it was really good (laughs) i i think also like to me and as i got older and understood more the like adult themes of the movie and had adult feelings in my crotch um the scene (laughs) where they're in the cabin and it's that song, um, is it, don't you feel like crying? Mm-hmm. Is that song? And it's so sexy. It's like crazy. It, it holds up. You watch it now, you're <laughs> like, do I have to pause? <laughs> Am I going to have to go get some toys right now? <laughs> like, It's so good. Maybe I'm an old lady, you know, for thinking that, but it's just... It is the way he dances with her. It's like, that's what a woman wants. Not, I shouldn't say that because that's what all women want. All men to do. Um, but Sarah like, knows. Sarah knows. I know. It's, it's, join me on my other podcast. <laughs> what women want. I guess there's probably one already called that. But um, It's a Mel Gibson movie. And it's a Ugh. great Mel Gibson movie. <laughs> it's true. Uh, um, no, but like to feel tiny in a in a in in huge arms i mean i think just any human would like this like this is just just to be a bait to be a baby i think the way that people have reacted to the giant woman in the resident evil video game proves that everyone wants to feel tiny compared to a large hot person yeah i mean you want to be like held and like she's just like butter you know she's just a doll and he's got her and he's in total control it's very hot very very hot I do love the way she flips that script, though. She gets the one scene where they're in the studio after they've been training for a few days. And she's like, oh, oh get yeah. out of my space. This is my space. She's like, like yeah. turning his words back on him in a very flirty way. And I, I found that scene to be so compelling. I know it's kind of goofy, but like their chemistry is so nuts in this movie. Yeah. It's Oof. weird Oof. how people who hate each other off screen could... I mean, that was maybe part of it is like they had like tension between them and it was real the way they were like, maybe they were fighting with each other because that's what builds to it. That makes it so good is because in the beginning he is so impatient with her and she is so frustrated and all those things. You know, I bet that that was real. Did you read how the producers convinced them to kind of put their differences aside? No. Time for time? So uh, they... They both really wanted to be movie stars at the time, and they both kind of wanted to top line the movie, and so they would get into it before every take. Um, but after they'd been shooting for a few days, the producers took them aside and showed them dailies and were like, watch yourselves interact. And they both were like, oh, that's pretty good. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so they chilled out for a minute. Like, this is sexy. <laughs> they saw it with our eyes for one moment only. Yeah. Every show I've worked on, there's always been a point where there's a debate of should we show some of the footage to the talent? 
And it, cause it can backfire if it's the wrong type of person who like either, you know, hates the way they look and has maybe like dysmorphia of some kind, whether it's body or just like, you know, hating the, the sound of their own voice or too critical of themselves. Mm-hmm. Or it's the type of person who needs that boost of confidence. I fall in the category of needing the boost of confidence. And I always like, if I'm the one on camera and someone goes, look, look how funny you are. I'm like, here we go. (laughs) And then it gets better. But there's some people who, if you, I bet if you did that and you show, I mean, not even I bet, I know of people who, that if you show them, it's a disaster and everything stops. The whole thing has to change, you know, like, (laughs) so it's a risk. It's funny to hear that story because it had to have been a risk. Yeah. Cause I like, think it was that contentious that they were like, well, well, you here's know. something. We got to try something. Yeah. 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 I love the idea that they saw themselves in this movie and were like, oh, we're really something though. Because the way they shoot this, all of the dancing is intimate enough that you can tell that it's not doubles. It's, it's Patrick oh, yeah. and it's right. Jennifer and all of the scenes. And that is another thing that Emil uh, Ardolino brought to the movie, which is that he saw Footloose. And he didn't like the doubling in mm-hmm. Footloose and that you had movie stars and you had dancers standing in for the movie stars. He was mm-hmm. like, I want to cast dancers first who can act. And the way that feeds back into the movie is you've got the same chemistry in all of the scenes, whether they're dancing or not. Um, and it's it's something special. Yeah, that's so that's such a good point. It really comes through. And then we got She's Like the Wind. Ugh. She is indeed. Oh like my the god. Wind. Oh my god. Oh all of I, I something we haven't talked about too much in this podcast yet is I like love source cues in movies and anytime you've got a good sequence cut to a song, I like oh it like burns itself into my brain. But I've had the time of my life was a song written for this movie, but it's played as diegetic music in the finale, and Patrick Swayze is like mouthing the words to her. Yeah. And it's like yeah. it, it's a song. I know from the eighties. Yeah, yeah, but it's like it's like written for the movie, so he wouldn't know it as like. Yeah. A, I think a lot about like where does that song live in that world? Do people know it, and we just didn't know it? But I don't I'm know. so this glad is, we're talking about this thing. because I I this love, stuff makes me crazy. I love the way the movie doesn't quite know whether it's in the eighties or the sixties. Yep. Is so I love that too cool. Like the uh, like the dirty dancers especially are like not styled in a 60s way because they're like maybe because they're like of lower class so they're just like not dressed as fancily but like they've got like bleached hair and perms and like the one black couple the guy has like a real uh like blocky 80s 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 haircut yeah um and i think it's it helps it works in the movie because it's like uh these are like the vital now kids and they seem yeah like completely out of no like like out of nowhere um surrounded by these like period Old. piece yeah yeah alter cockers are jennifer gray's iconic denim shorts not verifiably 80s in this movie am i wrong i think they're borderline well like, she straddles okay. the line that's her whole thing yeah right she is of both worlds that's another way that i really identify with baby in this movie is that everywhere everywhere i go i desperately need the staff to like me and i also (laughs) and also if i could help them like carry watermelons or secure abortions i want to do that it's like important (laughs) you're like your dad (laughs) like for a lot of 
New Year's Eves in a row, uh, I would go to this bar in Bloomington called The Back Door, and um, <clears throat> specifically because they would let me help pass out the champagne for the champagne toast of the night. I was like, I work here. I'm helping. I was like playing waitress, and I was like yeah. in my mid-20s kind of. <laughs> like I had already worked as a waitress, but I was having so much fun playing waitress at this bar. <laughs> I'm trying to think of who I am in the movie. You're not Robbie, Sarah. I can tell you that much no. based on our limited. I'm not. Reaction. I'm not the sister either. I'm not Lisa. Is it Lisa? No, Lisa. Yeah. yeah I, I'm not her. I think. I'm, but I'm not baby. You might be the mom. Just you might be Marge. Just like actually, I was just about having to say, a nice I think vacation. I'm the mom. <laughs> I think I'm the mom. And at the end, I'm like, sit, you sit down. <laughs> I want to see this. Bethy, am I the log? No, you're Billy. I think Billy is uh, Johnny's cousin who brings baby into the world of it like he's always like oh yeah 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 billy's billy's chill he's on the ball he's involved this movie is really divided up into sweeties and scumbags it's like everybody like except for maybe lisa who kind of straddles an edge it's very clear everybody is either like uh such a sweet person that like i get uh you know that um, the please their emoji with like the really big eyes Uh, every time i see like penny or billy or johnny or dad or like all of those people when i see them my eyes go big and i'm like you're so you're so cute you're a sweetie and then there's like robbie and neil and like the heavies of the movie that like we hate them they have like no redeeming qualities wait the sister's name was penny or lisa Lisa's the sister. Sister's Lisa. Penny Wait, who's is Penny? The- oh, Penny's the blonde. Yes. Yeah. I, in a weird way, I might be Johnny. Okay. I like that. I don't know. But I also want to be baby, but I'm not. <laughs> Which Johnny kind of wants. I think either is really cool. I might be Johnny in that I'm like, I'm the type that's like, all right, I'll take you under my wing, but you're going to fuck me over, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> And also, there's no way your dad will like me. You have no intention of making your dad like me. <laughs> are you really odd when people are upstanding? Or are you, like, honestly confused when people do the right thing? <laughs> no. Well, I expect it, and then they don't. And then I go, you dummy. <laughs> people are stupid. I don't know what I am. I'm not in this movie. No, you're, you're Johnny. This very complicated character is Sarah, and I'm the guy who carries two watermelons and is grateful to have someone carry the third. No, there's so much more to Billy. How dare you? <laughs> Tom, I'm going I'm to hold you in my arms like a baby and just rock you back and forth. Incredible. Not sexual. It's just purely... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting the it's job the, done. It's the baby, babysitting. There's this thing on TikTok right now, and I went deep last night looking at it. <laughs> so there's this thing called Sheesh. That people go, they go, sheesh, and it's like a way of being like, amazing, great. And then they do a thing at this, a lot of times at the same time where they go like this. Oh, the ice in my veins gesture. And But it kind of means like, this is who I am right now. I'm showing you who I am. I, it's very strange. But somebody made like a sound that's like going, sheesh. It's like this angelic thing. And like people are doing all these videos. And it's just different things of, I, I can't even explain. T- so much of TikTok is like really hard to explain. Mm-hmm. Unless you see it. But there was a video um, that I saw where it was a guy and it was his girlfriend going, do you want me to be the big spoon tonight? And then this <laughs> angelic like, sheesh. And he was like all excited. It was just a really macho guy and he was like so excited to be the little spoon. And that's what reminds me of like, Tom, you're 
<laughs> you want to be the little spoon, don't you? And I'll be the big spoon. And it's not sexual. Just I'll just. <laughs> Just... I like that, Sarah, I gotta say, I like that you said macho guy, because if, <laughs> if people are listening to this and not seeing it, they might they might take your words at face value. Yeah. <laughs> now, Thomas, he's strong, man. He's not 140 pounds. No, Tom, I'm not. Pounds. No, in the video I'm referring to, the guy was macho, and he yeah. wanted to be the baby. He wanted to be the little one in that moment. And so, Tom, you're a macho guy, maybe, <laughs> that wants to be the baby. Yeah, that's great. I am Macho. <laughs> this is the best episode of the podcast yet. No one's called me Macho. This makes no... I, this is what happens. I have one mulchy and we're... It's, it's over. <laughs> this is watching movies at the bar, though. It is laden with digressions and, and, and personal anecdotes. This is what this podcast is. Yeah, we really unpacked our religions that we were raised with. We decided who's which size spoon... I was just had a flashback of me and my sister. We definitely did stuff with stuffed animals to this movie, <laughs> to the soundtrack. <laughs> we definitely like would do the lift and like It's the best soundtrack ever. So Hungry good. Eyes. So, every song I know all the words. Hungry Eyes. Hungry oh Eyes my is God. a face melter. My and girlfriend yes, was like at the end? doing her job. Oh yeah. But Steph like is in the middle of a work day, like walking to the kitchen to get a glass of water, and I'm watching the Hungry Guys sequence, and I have this like big stupid smile <laughs> on my face. I'm like, I, I literally like, I took my headphones off, and I was like, Steph, this movie fucking rocks. And she goes, Oh, that's so great. My mom likes this movie. <laughs> oh my god, Tom, shut up, stop. Wait, I could. What? You're making me feel so old. I could oh, be your no. teen mom. I just realized that. <laughs> I could be your teen mom. I could have had you in high school. It is That's never, how much I've, older I am than you. I am very much the youngest person on this podcast, and it has been the case, I think, every time, but tonight I'm, like, really feeling it. Yeah, why? Okay, no, all I'm right. just kidding. <laughs> what if I turn? I was like, oh, so you think I'm old? Get it? Sarah's Sarah's turning, and we're going to brawl. You're doing a podcast with your fucking grandma now? <laughs> Wait, I just looked at my notes and I wrote down it's tragic that Swayze died before TikTok. I think he would have had fun. Oh my god. Oh, he would have. Just speaking oh. of. <laughs> He's so good. He's so Sweet. good. So good. The, and what and he, he was, was in Donnie Darko, wasn't he? Yeah. In Donnie he's, Darko. He's really good in Donnie yeah. Darko. It's it he unfortunately is like a bad guy in that movie, but his performance is great. He's really good. My my uh, my childhood friend is Richard Kelly. Oh, wow. Uh, he wasn't really... His mom was very close with my dad and tutored my brother and sister, and so we all, like, knew each other. But uh, and but Richard and I aren't currently friends, but we were, like, you know, all knew each other growing up. And Donnie Darko was one... It was memorable, one, because I was like, oh, my God, my friend from growing up wrote a movie and directed it, and, like, this is something that felt so out of reach for me. Mm. Uh, at the time, but also it was one of the first movies that I saw that um, I saw my own youth represented in a way that had never been shown to me on t on in a movie before. Oh yeah, and part of it was like oh because we grew up in the same neighborhood yeah. and like with the same points of reference. Even though it was filmed in um, California, it felt like my neighborhood growing up so much, and like the bikes and like I just. 
that movie really got me. But um, speaking of another hometown thing, Dirty Dancing was filmed in Virginia and in North Carolina. I'm from Virginia, and I always liked that connection, even though it was set. So I was always like, ooh, that's so cool. Dirty Dancing was filmed in Virginia. <laughs> I, I, that, that's great. I, sorry, before we get away from Richard Kelly, yeah. I, I actually am someone who quite likes Southland Tales, but also yeah. Donnie Darko is like, I know it is a thing for teen boys to love this movie, but I <laughs> yeah, adore that yeah. movie. And, and I brought it with me to college and had an increasingly complicated relationship with it. But I worked that out. My, my senior film essay was about transgressive teen films. Um, and basically in the 80s and 90s, there was this suburban ideal and there was so much value placed on like the nuclear product, which is like your yeah. beautiful teen child. And so I wrote an essay on Donnie Darko and Twin Peaks Firewalk with me and sort of the death of the nuclear family. And uh, those movies both... Very, very close to my heart. And I God, think- you're such a fucking nerd. But yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah, Southland Tales is definitely going to show up on the pod. I insist that we do. Oh my God, Tales. I'm that, movie's that movie is so crazy. Richard Kelly, I'm ahead. Speaking of like the setting of the movie, uh, you know, I didn't go. Obviously, I didn't go to Lakes in the Catskills. I've been to some, you know, parts of Virginia, but it just reminds me so much of like Indiana summer too. And I feel like it's probably mm-hmm. the same for yeah. you, Thomas, with Iowa. It's not that far off. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. it's like that muggy that, um yeah, muggy, uh you know, cicadas and crickets and like, you know, uh sudden thunderstorms. Yeah, I, I'm I'm excited to travel east this year to get some seventeen year cicadas in. Oh, yeah, for sure. The Brood X's are coming and I'm here for it. I got, watching this movie made me so wistful for swimming in lakes that, like, I almost couldn't handle it. <laughs> not Sarah, not Sarah. I grew she up, says no. <laughs> I learned to swim in a lake. I grew up by, not on a lake, but right near one. And I love horse a, flies. Yeah, the flies can't see are, anything. Are the great. muck. Uh-uh. Love the muck. Put me in it. I'm Grimer, baby. <laughs> I evolved from muck. Did either of you have the experience as as young people where you had a lake that you would swim in and then you found out during a part of the season that it was quote unquote unswimmable because it was like very contaminated, <laughs> like, but you jump in anyway yeah. and it like smells like human shit. And when you get out, you like maybe have a staph infection. That's a uh, one time that's something we all share. One time our entire town flooded and I had a lot of fun swimming and walking around in the like streets that were just in like an inch of water and it's like this is like the venice canals and i didn't realize that much like the venice canals it was mostly human waste like that's what was flooding was the sewer backing up and i was like i'm having the time of my life oh this is why i'll never live in new york city again after all those years it was now visiting i'm very nostalgic i mean i'm overwhelmed it's almost like painful to visit there because it's just now been enough time where every block, every place has such strong memories. But, like, I can't live there because of things like, oh, it's so, New York is so beautiful when it snows for two hours. And then it <laughs> all melts mush. into a sludge <laughs> yeah. that you ha- you can't. It's a lake that you have to walk through. And you know there's human shit in there. And <laughs> it's disgusting. <laughs> you tolerate a lot when you move to New York. I will say, though, here in Los Angeles, I love Los Angeles, but there are entire blocks that smell like pee because people pee there and there's never rain to wash away the pee. 
I, I, I hear you, Bethy, but have you ever lived in New York? I have not. Okay, you do not know what pee smells like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there are blocks that smell like pee in New York, and it doesn't matter how much it rains. <laughs> the pee doesn't go away. <laughs> this, <Or> li- <laughs> this, reminds, <laughs> this reminds me of the single best line, in my opinion, in Superbad, which is uh, like a, a throwaway thing where Seth Rogen goes, do you know why buses smell like piss? Because people piss on them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I, I think about that a lot. <laughs> well, we talked uh. about Superbad. We talked about <laughs> the soundtrack. We talked about our religious childhoods. Is there anything that we... We talked about how much we hate Robbie. Is there anything that we're missing? Jerry Orbach love we want to throw in before we sign off? Yeah, I love him. But we should also rip on Neil Kellerman real oh, quick yeah. one more Circle time. Back. before. <laughs> The way Neil sucks, man. So I sorry. My my notes for this movie. One of them is movies suck now, <laughs> <laughs> and then the next note is Neil is such a fucking loser. <laughs> um, and those are my two like big dirty dancing. Um, notes. A movie that I now love and can't wait to watch again. One quick note I would say about uh, Jennifer Grey is well, you know, it was sad to see her. She went and got her nose job yeah. after that. She's talked about regretting it um, because it was like what made her compelling. <laughs> not that she's not compelling with a different nose, but, you know, it, it just was weird. Um, but she went on to make a different movie after that. And I remember it was called Sail. And it was all about like sailing competitions. And she's like <laughs> making a sail out of like parachute material that was going to be this groundbreaking kind of sail. <laughs> And who was in it? Oh, wait. That's a lot to take in right now. I'm already sold. Oh, no. It's called Wind. (laughs) It's called Wind, 1992. And it's um, Matthew Modine and Jennifer Grey. And it's all about sailing competitions. And, you know, she's like, I'm going to, like, really help you out by making this fucking special sale out of parachute material (laughs) i was really into this movie (laughs) she's like the wind 1992 yeah and then she went on to make a movie called wind (laughs) and the the subtitle is winning is everything (laughs) look sarah if this if this podcast takes off on the apple charts we're gonna have to have you come back to talk wind oh and i can talk about matthew modine's health food store that i went to the opening of for some reason (laughs) oh If I find out you do an episode about wind and I'm not on it, I will destroy both of you. Uh, you, you you've already you've already threatened me, and I I I, I, but then I, I was like, I'll it. be the big spoon. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll, we'll we'll have you come back to to big big spoon us for wind. It's gonna be yeah. incredible. Yeah, with the big sail. That's what it was like. She got that big sail. Yes, there was a lot of this motion on the boat. <laughs> 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 a lot of using the word jib like you know what it means <laughs> exactly um sarah where can people find you online uh sarah schaefer one across all platforms now if you google me i am at at this moment the most recognizable sarah schaefer so even if you spell it wrong which there are many ways to spell sarah schaefer it will ask you if you mean me hell yeah dude that's so cool for now Another Sarah Schaefer will rise. 
So when but for now. Stopper. So I'm at <laughs> Bethy Squires on Instagram, and one reason that I go by Bethy Squires instead of Elizabeth Squires online is because Elizabeth Squires was someone known as the Boob Lady, and she wrote multiple <laughs> no. books about how to help you find your right bra <laughs> So. Wait, I have one that tops this. It's not me, but Bethy, you know him. Krista Leo. Oh, yeah. Krista, so we both have worked with a producer named Christopher D'Elia. And uh, when we met, when I first met him, all that crap with the other Krista Leo had just started. And he was like oh kind of laughing it off at first. And then the last show I worked on, he announced, I mean, he announced it on his social media as well. So I'm not like... Tell, talking out of school but he was like hey everyone so i'm changing my name <laughs> so he changed he had to change his name Wait, what did he change his name to he changed it to vess after his grandfather and he oh. was like basically like i can't you know i'm having five conversations a day where i'm having to talk about a pedophile uh. and explain that i'm not him you know people are like reacting negatively to emails thinking that i'm him <laughs> i'm like oh my god you poor man he's the nicest so person nice. <laughs> if you want to find me on twitter i am uh, at uh, handsome underscore pal but i'm actually going to be changing my handle to rockabye baby after this episode so. <laughs> uh and then, uh, Bethy, Bethy, we have, we're, we're on social media, right? Yeah. The show? the show on Twitter is Movie Bar Pod, and on Instagram is Movie Bar underscore pod. And as always, we have a normal sign off, and that normal sign off is I carried a watermelon. Thank you and good night. <laughs> Thanks, guys. You're wild. You're wild. Watching Movies at the Bar is edited by Colin Jenkins, with show art by Lindsay Farrell, and that theme you hear at the top, that's Quentin Mulligan. Mm-hmm.